0: Welcome to the Review Name podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. With me on the show tonight is Sam. Hello. And we are going to do what listeners of the podcast probably assumed we would do this week and have an entire evening devoted to Doctor Who. The show returned last night. There's a lot of news to discuss. It's a, the beginning of a new era for the show. So we're going to talk Doctor Who this evening. Um, and,
1: and for listeners, Jordan and I have been talking about doing a... Doctor Who-centric podcast for such a long time. I think we still have to do a Buffy podcast. I finished watching Buffy months ago and have, we have waited to, we, to there decompress. There a lot of special
0: podcasts that we like to toss around ideas of. The Buffy podcast. Now that you finish The Sopranos, ideally at some point we could do a Sopranos podcast.
1: I feel like a, a, a Sopranos-Buffy podcast mixed together. They're just... Such so similar shows. I mean, they're pretty
0: much the same show, really. If you if yeah. you think about it, they're they're virtually the same show. So let's just I mean, talk about those at the same time.
1: James Gandolfini's role as Buffy was incredible. He's a true chameleon.
0: And I mean, Anthony Stewart Head uh, as uh, Dr. Melphy was phenomenal. Yeah, I I honestly thought that he was a woman. Um, so
1: he's a he's a beautiful man. Let's just, so this is, Let's keep it at that. This is
0: what the podcast is going to be like um, from here into perpetuity. Uh but yes, we're going to talk doctor who all night. Um a lot of things to to discuss there. So Sam, what where would you like to begin with the who talk?
1: Um well, I think today we're going to have let's start with the premiere cuz that's the big That's, that's the in big the present news right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then so, we're going to talk about the uh, other big
0: news which is the Dr. the who. new yeah, the newest news about the 15th anniversary special which we will discuss as well. But um, for those of you who are not familiar with the show, the uh, seventh season, seventh series, as it is called in Britain, if we're going to be proper, um, the seventh series uh, premiered its second part last night. They break the show up much like several other shows are doing at this point. Uh, It aired five episodes last fall, a special at Christmas, and now we're back. So it's been a break for the show. It premiered again last night. With the premiere came the introduction, the proper introduction, we should say, of The Doctor's New Companion. So it was sort well, of a big got episode a, for the
1: show. We got, uh, we got Clara Oswin Oswald. Um, Technically just for, Clara Oswald, I guess, right? I guess she's not Oswin, yeah. Um, and it's significant because we've actually seen her the past uh, two episodes. The Christmas Special and... Um, we saw her we saw in the premiere. Dogs. Yeah. And in the premiere but i think this is the iteration that we're going to stick with and she is very much alive and not dead. But i guess before we should we, we start talking about this episode. Go watch the episode first before we Yeah, we, we
0: will this. we will spoil the hell out of this episode for the rest of the podcast. Like we're going mean, to talk we're going to tell who dies. Yes, everybody dies. Uh, yeah, it's it was really shocking to me when the doctor died. Like i did not see that coming. Um, and then like
1: when he died, they were like, he is not regenerating. Yeah, they like, were this like, is the end. He is super
0: film. dead. There is no there is no trick like there was in season six. Um he's just dead and now. Then,
1: and then they wake up and find that it was uh it was all just a dream. It was all uh, uh Mickey's dream. Yeah.
0: Mickey was looking into a snow globe, uh the snow globe had a blue police box in it. It was it was really kind of a derivative ending, I think.
1: The entire, the entire fifty-year run of Doctor Who was just Mickey's dream.
0: <laughs> of all of all the characters, Mickey would be the one having the dream. Mm-hmm.
1: I was I was also thinking about uh, we call we call him English Danny because he looks like our friend Danny, but he was the uh, the one episode uh, companion who had to be dropped off because he just flew too close to the sun and he tried stealing future technology and bringing it back, and that was no good. Yes. What was, do
0: you remember his name? Um, his name is British Danny to me, because he looks exactly like Danny. Uh, he was in the episode Dalek, and then he was in the episode that followed Dalek in the first series of the revival. Um, so he was a brief companion of the Ninth Doctor, Egg Rose. Um, if you don't know who we're talking about, it doesn't matter. He's a completely irrelevant character.
1: Which is why he would be perfect for the guy who... He would! What a twist! Who- And then, then you'd be like, "Danny,
0: you dreamed about uh, Doctor Who for fifty years." Yes, Danny's also seventy-five years old. So,
1: well, in in Danny's dream, he would be a younger man who is English. Yes,
0: that's. I think Danny envisions himself that way when he's dreaming all the time. So,
1: it would make sense. All right. So again, go watch the episode first. We're still going to be here because this is a recording. Yeah. If you know how a pause function works, we will not move on if
0: you press the pause button until you are ready. So go watch the episode.
1: in fact, you can pause time as long as you have this recording. We're immortal, so you can pause it, wait thirty years, and we'll still be the same age. So uh, and it would be it would be take kind your time, of go see the strange
0: episode. if you if you pause this and left it open on your computer for thirty years before watching the episode. I assume at this point you like you've gotten married and you have children, and you're like, oh right, I should press play on this. Um, well,
1: you know, maybe you had a couple things get in the way of watching um, the bells of Saint John, and you just had to put it on pause for a few decades. I just
0: like the idea because. Presumably these people, uh, our listeners, are listening to it either on iTunes or on our website, or if you be named. I'm going to presume for this joke. They're listening to it on iTunes, and they listen to literally nothing on iTunes for three decades, because they have, like, four minutes of this podcast started, and they want to deposit.
1: Well, you know, you know the state of the music industry now. Yeah. Music it's is all dead. garbage.
0: Also, um, considering the theme of the episode, which I assume anyone still listening has watched this at this point, or doesn't care at all, and just wants to listen to us talk about something they're not going to watch... Um, considering the theme of the episode... Which, I would
1: say, you're a weirdo.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, if you don't watch Doctor Who, you're welcome to come back next week, because this is going to be a Doctor Who podcast. Um, and we won't, we won't do a Doctor Who podcast every week, we promise. So, it's cool if you don't want to listen to the rest. But, I, am going to comment now on the irony of the fact that we are technically going to be broadcast throughout the interwebs, uh, when this podcast is released. And this is an episode of Doctor Who very much dedicated to the internet.
1: Yeah, Jordan, I want to know, what did you think of the, not necessarily the villain of the episode, but the danger of the episode comes from the fact that we all are connected to Wi-Fi and there is this secret organization who is sucking out people's souls or brains or minds, killing them, brain souls, through the internet because they click on a, I guess people are so tempted by a free Wi-Fi connection, even if it's just scary characters that aren't like, English characters, they just click on it anyway. If you click on it, it steals your soul or body and doesn't really kill you, makes you, look, like, look kind of dead. Well, technically and it kills you,
0: it just, it backs you up in the data core, sort of like uh, yeah. Silence in the Library style.
1: And, of course, there is a mysterious villain who is feasting on minds of innocent people. What did you think of having Wi-Fi be this big connecting source so uh, it's oh go ahead it, it's just it i was gonna say it's an interesting choice that they're gonna go with something that's modern day they could have very easily having this taken place somewhere in the future where you know they would be able to use a device that we couldn't really call in a question because we don't know it but they went with something everyone knows everyone has wi-fi what you think i am um, am
0: unashamedly uh Consumer of Doctor Who spoilers. Um, Most television shows, I I hate the idea of being spoiled. Whenever there is news about what Doctor Who is going to be doing with its new episodes, since I started watching the show like last summer, I just read about it. So, like, I knew what the premise of this episode is. I know what the premise of every episode for the rest of the season is, except the finale, which is being kept secret, which is good because I don't really want to know about that. But I knew, like, that this was the episode about there's there's a monster in the Wi-Fi, and I think, like, I read that and I was like, well, that sounds. Um, a little satire about like we spend too much time on electronics. And like I thought that's where the show was gonna go with it. I didn't think that was gonna be particularly interesting. Mostly they just said, like, this is the monster, whatever. Um, and I think what they did well was develop the the shady organization. Um, Miss Kismet Kislet, whatever her name was, uh, like the head of this organization. I thought she was actually really good at being like chilling and creepy, and she had some uh-huh. particularly good, like, evil bon mots that I enjoyed. So, like, she held the screen very well, even if, like, the story that they were doing, like, the, the Wi-Fi monster thing was kind of stupid and didn't really go anywhere. I thought she was a good villain, um, and I also thought this is an episode that was doing a whole lot of other things it didn't really have room for or need for a big scary bad guy.
1: Well, I think, let's, I guess let's talk about, get the plot out of the way. I thought the direction, the director was Cole McCarthy, who's done a bunch of British television, and this is his first episode of Doctor Who. A lot of this reminded me actually of the first series of Sherlock in that we kind of see uh, technology and screens and text on like surrounding the characters to kind of represent it visually. And that kind of reminded me of the first season of Sherlock and kind of their visual style. Definitely, yeah. And what also reminded me of Sherlock was how, like in the first series of Sherlock, We don't know who the bad guy is behind everything. Of course, if you're familiar with Sherlock Holmes at all, you know who the big bad guy probably is. But there's also, but in that stream, they had people looking into monitors saying, "You know, I did what I was told by you. You're the boss. Yada yada yada. We're doing this for the client." In big quotation marks, and instead of Moriarty, this time Moffat is using the Great Intelligence introduced in. Uh, the Christmas special earlier this year. Well, reintroduced. Reintroduced. Yeah, it is a yeah, the Great Intelligence is, an, is, old, a, is yeah. an old
0: school Who bad guy. Who I I I have been going through the original series of Who, uh, but the Great Intelligence is a second Doctor bad guy. I have not seen the second Doctor episodes yet, so I'm still not familiar with the
1: original iteration. Well, you gotta let me let us know if they do the Great Intelligence justice, or do it better, or do it worse. Um Jordan, what do you think about, how did you feel about, A, how they handled the introduction of, yeah, this is going to be a thing throughout the uh, series? I guess it was kind of hinted at in the Christmas special, obviously, but this kind of seals the deal on that. How do you feel about having a big, bad character kind of throughout the arc, which we didn't really have in the first half?
0: I think that's fine. Um, I I have no problem with the idea of a big, bad, obviously. I'm a big, buffy guy. Um, I think the show has done decent big, bads before. Um... Though, Doctor Who is not necessarily the best at executing the endgame of any of its arcs, so I don't, I don't like to get overly invested in what it's doing uh, arc-wise. But what struck me as strange is, like, this is the second straight episode for the show that the great intelligence is the bad guy, and yet it didn't, I didn't feel like it, it did a, a good enough job at saying, see, this is the big bad behind everything. It almost felt like we just saw two great intelligence episodes back-to-back, and we could move on and never talk about the Great Intelligence again, and he might not be, like, it, I guess, might not be the bad guy for the season. Like, it wasn't like this reveals the overarching plot that is tying things together and that is creating an arc for the show. It was more like, well, we used this bad guy last week, but we're using him again.
1: Yeah, I feel like the way Moffat has introduced these kind of arcs, they're going to be in the very beginning of the season kind of forgotten about for a couple of, Uh, standalone episodes and then brought back uh, towards the end. Um, And if you remember the silence, you know, think about the impossible astronaut that was very connected to the big overarching uh, plot of that season. And then it was kind of forgotten about until the last four. I mean, when you talk about, uh, you know, demons run. And when it gets, gets to the back half of that season. And I feel like he doesn't have a ton of time to do a lot with that. So maybe we're going to have it more connected throughout the entire season. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm oh, glad yeah. that maybe this will be a step away from everything being so standalone. The first half of this season kind of disappointed me in some respects and that it really was trying to be very, very, uh, open to new viewers. And in doing so, it was really just like mini movies each week. Which is what they were going right. for. But okay. I kinda like I like my television serialized uh sometimes. And I think
0: Yeah, and I think I think Doctor Who usually does a good job of being the right level of serialized where you got you've got a plot, you got several one offs throughout the season to distract from a lot, but there is progression throughout. Um and that's but I think what the Impossible Astronaut did very well that I do not think the Buzzle Tink John did very well is In The Impossible Astronaut, you knew, like, this is what the plot will be for the season. Like, uh, for those of you who have not seen it, I will now be spoiling season six of the show. Um, But you know, in The Impossible Astronaut, that you're dealing with the death of the Doctor. Like, this is the premise that the show is going to to be dealing with, and the Silence are the adversaries for the season. I feel like what the Bells of St. John did not do is, like, maybe it it hinted that the Great Intelligence is going to be around... But it didn't say, like, the Great Intelligence is doing something, or, like, the Great Intelligence is the Doctor's adversary of the moment. Um, In fact, the Doctor doesn't even know the Great Intelligence was involved in this plot.
1: Well, I think something that the Impossible Astronaut had the benefit of was it didn't have to introduce a new companion. And part of of introducing this companion is, you know, this season isn't going to just be about the Great Intelligence. It's going to be about who is... Who are you, Clara Oswald? I mean that, that the Doctor literally says yeah. that in the episode. So that's going to be kind of like an arc throughout this season too. And you don't really have that mystery with other um, with other companions. Often you'd find that they were important in some way, like Donna, or they—they they have some great power. Eventually, like you—you kind of learn about them, like Rose um, at the end of her run, but this, not from the outset. Do you think? There is something weird and different about this companion, and that's kind of new for Clara. Clara, we know that there's there's a big mystery around her, which we didn't really have with the other companions. So I guess yeah, that's... and I
0: think I think that is a good I I, I think that is a good hook for the season. This idea of like uh, because what when I when, when we originally saw Asylum of the Daleks, my thought was like, so are we doing like another like a River Song Redux where we've seen uh, Clara at the end of her life, and now we're going to go back and like we will know where she ends up. But she's going to be a companion for a while. And I'm glad the show went in a very different direction with it. Because um, I don't know what it means yet. At this point, I have to assume the Great Intelligence is somehow tied up in it. Because um, it seems like the Great Intelligence will be the big bad guy for the season. It seems like the question uh, that we have for for uh, to be lingering in our heads is what exactly is going on with Clara, who has died twice in history and is yet still alive um, in the modern day. So, I, I mean, I assume that the Great Intelligence will somehow be involved in that plotline now, and that could be interesting, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would, I would definitely be su- surprised if the Clara storyline was somehow separate from the Great Intelligence. There's just too much there. Um, also, I mean, they're going to have to set it up. I, I can't imagine that Clara is designed to be a one-season uh, no, she's, I mean, Jenna Louise Coleman's already signed on for season eight. So, okay. And I, I'm pretty sure that Matt Smith is as well. I don't think he's, Yeah, they're both, they're both going to be back for season eight. Uh, I don't, I don't know if he's signed on before that or after that rather, I guess, I guess he isn't. Um, and I, no,
0: he's, he's officially contracted through 2014, which I guess means season eight and probably a Christmas special, uh, next year.
1: Okay. So they're going to have a, they're going to have a season and a half together. Um,
0: yeah, at least. Um, presume, probably only a season and a half, if I had to guess. But uh,
1: I agree. I, I actually, I mean, I guess this is another conversation for another day whenever that day comes, but I think uh, when Matt Smith's current contract runs out, I would bet my, I wouldn't bet the farm, but I would I would bet a good amount of money that he would be done. Um,
0: I, I, I'd like that not to be true, but I'm greedy. Um, Matt Smith is my favorite doctor that I have yet encountered. Um, I love him to death. And uh, I I don't want to see him leave the role, but he will have been in it like uh, I mean he will have done four seasons uh, when eight is done, which is the longest run of the revival and one of the longer runs of any actor in the history of the show. Uh, I think he would be tied for the second longest run at four seasons. So
1: yeah, it'll definitely be a good run. And let's uh, let's talk about Jenna Louise Coleman. What did you think of her? And this was this was her debut as. The, the character that she's going to be going forward. I mean, the other characters yes. she played were kind of iterations of who she she is, but uh, this is this is the Clara we're going to get. She's not dying, at least not not yet. Not immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked her a lot.
0: I think I, I again, um, as much as I love the way that Doctor Who is able to reinvent itself at the turn of a wheel. Uh, and I think that's one of the great things about the show, I'm always the, like, oh, but I like the old companion, or the old doctor, you know? It, it always takes me a minute to recalibrate, and I think she's done a very good job of establishing Clara as someone who's going to be interesting as a companion, who's going to be different than Amy, um, but also bringing something very important to the table. I think the show's done a good job of saying, like, Clara is the doctor's equal. Like, they're they're not playing uh, the same game that Amy and the doctor were playing. They're, they're not going to have the same relationship. Um... And I think the relationship they're going to have seems very interesting to me. It seems like she's going to be uh, it's sort of a screwball relationship with Matt Smith, which I love Matt Smith's comedic chops. Um, I, like, I think he is great at being the funny version of the Doctor, and I think he and Jenna uh, Louise Coleman seem to do the banter thing very well. So I believe that's going to be played up in their relationship, and I like that. Um, I, liked, I liked both of uh, the previous Clara iterations we saw uh, for different reasons. I think, I actually think, uh, it's, it's to General Louise Coleman's credit that it seems to me that these are three different characters. They are, like you said, iterations of the same person. But I think even in the one episode that we saw the other two, you got a feel for each of those Claras, and it was a different feel than we got last night, uh, with this Clara. So I like that. Um, I'm on board with Jenna Louise Coleman. I think it's, I think she's going to be good. Uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying in... Ever since after Rose, I've always been very, very slow to accept new companions, especially with Martha, actually, and with Amy. I think I was actually pretty quick on getting on board with um, Donna, because Donna was so weirdly different from everybody. Um, but I guess in the same way, I'm kind of, I'm pretty much on board with Clara at this point maybe because I've already had two episodes to kind of get used to it and she was kind of interestingly ingrained into the Doctor Who universe where it it kind of feels like a smooth transition with Martha it kind of felt abrupt after Rose and with Amy it was like shock to the system because it was new new doctor new companion the show looked different it was like everything was new so I was kind of you know, the eleventh hour is a great episode, but I was also like, "Oh, I miss David Tennant. I miss every. I miss because I'm that way with TV shows and everything."
0: Yeah, and I think uh, I think Doctor Who is is unique in the way that it completely reinvents itself like that. So, as someone who is new to watching it, um, you know, in the last several months, I still have that like whiplash whenever that whenever something central to the show changes. Um, and I'm getting better at it now, especially like. Watching the the William Hartnell era, the first Doctor, as I as I have been over the last few months, it's I, I'm getting better at going like, okay, so that companion's gone. All right, moving on. Um, but it's still like the show just changes and it becomes something completely different at the at the you know drop of a hat, um, and that takes some getting used to.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like that this show. Part of the appeal of this show and how it goes on literally for decades is that you kind of are able to grow with it and you. You have relationships with these characters and then they kind of just go away and then they're kind of just memories and the show continues to go on and it keeps building and getting new characters. And I think it's I mean, it's definitely unique in that how many shows can say they've been on how many narrative shows can say they've been on for that long and have said goodbye to characters and then introduced new characters or actors playing the same character a version of that character and people still being accepting of it it's it's quite the feat to do because I mean, the
0: lead yeah the lead of the show changes every really roughly 3 which, years, you yeah, know I, mean, I think
1: the closest thing you can compare it to is James Bond and at the same time i think bond isn't so concerned with connecting each movie to each other at least through the separate actors. I think, you know, they've done that yeah, way.
0: Yeah, I think Bond has a very loose definition of continuity, yeah. um, and some would argue that Doctor Who does as well, but that the show is at least very open about the idea that this is the same character, um, and Regenerations count, and he remembers things that have happened before. Well,
1: just like, so, the thing where, um, just that Sarah Jane was a character in the new iteration of the show, is kind of amazing. I mean, she was on the show, like, 30 years before, and she's kind of this old friend, and You know, the doctor got a phone call, Matt Smith's doctor, saying that the, what's his name?
0: Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart. Yeah, the Brigadier
1: died. (laughs) You know, I mean, this show, this show has weird connections through time, which is kind of, kind of appropriate. What? Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it's something you don't get with other TV shows, which is really enjoyable. And especially for kind of obsessive fans who kind of keep track of those things. And remember, oh, yeah, like the Great Intelligence is this, or Daleks do this. Or dogs used to be like this, but now they've gone through this evolution, and now there are these Power Ranger dogs who are different colors. You know, it, <laughs> the show the show is always changing, always evolving, always adding to its characters. And even if they're not there, they're in they're in the back of the collective minds of of fandom, which I, right. I mean, I think Definitely. we can kind of talk about when we talk about the 50th anniversary because I because it's going to tap into that. Even though. And
0: also, I think it's worth pointing out uh, we're talking about the sort of the monsters evolve over time. And we know that later in this season, Neil Gaiman is writing a Cybermen episode, and his mandate was to make the Cybermen scary again. So I think we're about to see that, like, the, it, it's been announced they're redesigning the way they look. Uh, I think we're about to see one of these transformations in this season.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's something the show does incredibly well, also. I mean, they're doing it right now with the great intelligence they're doing something new. I haven't seen the original stuff with the great intelligence, but I can imagine they're going to do their own twist on it. But if you look at what they did with Daleks in asylum of the Daleks, that was like a new area for it. I think they tried some other weird stuff that didn't quite as work with the evolution of the Daleks. Um, but even, even the first reintroduction of the Daleks in Dalek in season one of the uh, reboot was a really interesting, great episode, I think. Um,
0: yeah. I, um, I mean, Having seen every Dalek episode in the Revival, and everyone in the Hartnell era, um, I think Dalek is perhaps my favorite Dalek story. Yeah. Like, I think, it, I think it nailed exactly what is supposed to be scary about these characters, that so often isn't. And the show lost that immediately by
1: going like, well, one Dalek is scary,
0: try a hundred million Daleks, Wah! Yeah,
1: exactly. It's like, oh well. It's kind of like that, Oh god, I'm gonna get into Buffy now. But it's when they had that uber <laughs> vampire in season seven, and they're like, this is an unkillable beast! here's
0: a bajillion here's of a bajillion
1: them. of them and everyone is just like fine whatever we can do this even though buffy has trouble with the one but um i
0: think i mean that was that was the flaw of buffy season seven i think it's a flaw of davy's entire run as showrunner of doctor who he was the one who brought it back and revived it and he was the showrunner for the first four series um and i think over the course of that like every every year he would try to make the finale bigger and badder than the last one and it, it sort of blew up to the point where it got a little bit
1: ridiculous. Well I think it I think um, it I mean I think that's really more true when it just came to the Daleks. Um I think the Daleks are kind of like they try to make the Daleks the Joker to to um to Doctor Who in that yeah. like when we need like the season end and we need a really big ending, who's gonna be behind all of it? The Daleks.
0: I think yeah. when they did they it, well, I thing.
1: mean, I really liked that they brought the master back for the reboot of the show. And now that, yeah, that's a new take on that character, which is an old, you know, an old character from previous series of the show. And I mean, I look forward to the next time they, they give that character another shot. And then it's kind of born anew and we get to do different things with this character. It's kind of the appeal that you, you see in, in uh, comic books, you know, and yeah. different writers have different takes on characters we've known for years Someone can do it, and people have yeah. their, people have their favorite runs. But for the most part, you just keep reading it, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be stories about the Joker, and there are always going to be different stories about the Joker. And some might be crap, like you know, the Daleks in Manhattan, or some might be good, like Dalek. or some Joker stories might be really good, and some might be really bad. Um, so hopefully, uh, what Moffat's doing with the Great Intelligence is one of these really good things. Um, there's nothing to tell me that it hasn't, even though I don't think we've really gotten into the meat of the great intelligence yet. Basically it seems like it's kind of this mysterious thing on the side that we're going to learn more about later.
0: Right. So far, so far it's mostly breadcrumbs, I think like we've gotten hints that this thing is out there um, and it's been out there for a while, you know, since Victorian England. So it's been, it's been rooting around in, in the collective unconscious for, you know, hundreds of years at this point um, or well over a hundred anyway. So like we know that
1: about it, but we don't really know all that much more. Yeah. And, and, you know... But, you know... Oh, go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say, from this episode, it didn't really give me a lot about um, the Great Intelligence, but it it kind of assured me more that the companion's going to work, which is... Yeah, and that's
0: what it was for. Um, I think we were, we were speaking a little bit about this before the podcast, and we decided we kind of wanted to save it for a discussion in the podcast, which I think makes sense. But um, <coughs> the show the show tends to to do less with monsters in the episodes where it needs to introduce a new doctor or a new companion uh, because it has that heavier weight to lift. Um, So what did you think of the, uh, we've we've sort of talked about Clara as a companion and how you like her. What did you think of the way that the bells of St. John introduced her and the doctor as a unit, as what the show will center on for the next probably at least season and a half?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the thing with her is we don't really know much about her. I don't really understand how she, you know, we're not supposed to understand how she's been in all these different times and how she is connected to the doctor, but someone gave her in the present, the doctor's phone number, who that person is. Everyone's saying it's river song. It's gotta Um, be river song, right? (laughs) Uh, I can't, I always can't wait for river to show up. She's one of my favorite characters. I mean, she's probably my favorite character who isn't the doctor. Um,
0: yeah, she's, she's the best thing the show I think has ever done except the, like the basic (laughs) premise. Except for having the doctor on it.
1: It's still, I think the best thing the show's ever
0: done. Um, and yeah, I, when, when River shows up, that's the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree. So the idea that, that it is River, which I assumed as soon as it was like some woman gave me this number, <laughs> um, like, oh, so River gave you
1: the number. Okay. Um, but in, a, anyway, I, I think, and I, I wrote about this in my review, which is definitely up now by the time you, this podcast yes. comes out, because it's up now uh, while we're recording this. <laughs> it's, up, it's up in our time. It's up so in it's our time. Certainly so up in the in future, time. it'll still be there. <laughs> um the especially the scene between Claire and the doctor when they're arguing over who's going to hack into the into the mainframe or whatever is when they're kind of tugging the laptop back and forth it kind of just reminded me of old movie banter it remind I said it, yeah. it remind it's like 50s style banter at its best where it's just quick back and forth
0: between yeah it's very uh, screwball and yeah, i love so it screwball. reminded me of
1: like kind of catherine hepper and screwball and you know she gives as good as she gets, that sort of thing. And I, I really like that. And I don't think, you know, I, I loved Amy and Rory, but I think they weren't they weren't really giving the Doctor the business, at least not until much later in their run. They were kind of yeah. just like, oh my God, this is happening. I, they were they were Wendy, you know, they were Wendy. They were on for the ride with Peter, and and I think Claire is more comfortable going toe to toe with the Doctor, which is part of why why I like River Song so much.
0: Yeah, that's why I like River Song. It's why I like Donna Noble. Um, I enjoy it when the show gives, like, challenges the Doctor, especially because he's he's so like endlessly arrogant, and only when someone calls him out on that does the show really point it out. Exactly. Uh, so it's it's good to have someone around to sort of give the Doctor the business, as
1: you said. Um. So yeah, and, and you know what? That's the dynamic between the two of them. It is all I really needed to get out of this episode and I got it which you know ultimately I was happy with the episode even though the things I didn't like about the episode are pretty inconsequential to the rest of the season basically I didn't like having having a computer based episode where there's so much about hacking into things I feel like half of the episode was just people typing furiously on a computer and those scenes always kind of drive me nuts cuz it's like they're they're typing gibberish it kind of takes me out of yeah. it because like no one's typing anything. You're not typing words. Like
0: that's not how hacking works even remotely. That's just how movies have decided hacking it's works. It's just
1: people mashing on keyboards and it's like I'm I'm, I'm hacking in and and that's like supposed to impress me. I mean, I I find that less impressive than the doctor pointing his sonic screwdriver at something and things working. Um and when um, and when the doctor yeah, like, is typing furiously away against the the guy who works in the shard building That was just, what is the point of that? That's like like Yoda and Count Dooku shooting lasers at each other with their hands. You know, this, I'm not, I'm not, you're not impressing me with anything. This is just like, it's boring. It's just things happening on the screen. It's completely uninteresting to watch. And I, I mean, that's one of the things that I think is the, is a flaw at the core of
0: the episode. An episode I quite liked is that like, it's, it's hard to dramatize hacking. Um, and I, I don't think it's done well very often, and I don't think it was done particularly well here. Fortunately, like you said, it's completely inconsequential, and really the episode didn't even seem that interested in it. (laughs) Uh, it just seemed like that was, that was whatever was going on in the background so that we could have a Doctor and Clara adventure.
1: Yeah, but, you know, luckily, I you know, and also that the Doctor programmed a robot that looks like him to take her out or whatever. It's like, that's, that's well-worn territory at this point. For, uh, Moffat. The doctor yeah, switch, the yeah. robot switcheroo, which I wasn't a huge fan of before.
0: No, I didn't, I didn't like it before and I didn't like it now, but again, Ho- like... Hopefully he's getting, think-
1: hopefully he's getting robots that look like other characters on the show out of his system because it's, <laughs> it's been through, it's uh, been, it's been done. Like, la- like two it's the- years ago, <laughs> it was done. Yeah. Um, I,
0: I think at the, at the end of the day, um... The, I didn't like the things I didn't like about this episode just don't bother me as much as the things I like about it are good
1: um, well, I think we know what we know what this episode is trying to do, and it's it the the story online in this episode is not telling me oh this is gonna this is gonna be what every episode is like in terms of plot no this is really just about introducing us to the characters we need to know going forward you know it, yeah, um, it's like do you, i mean nobody remembers the monster in the eleventh hour. Because it doesn't matter what the monster was. The monster in 11th Hour was just some easily defeated thing. Yeah, where, it, was the,
0: it was just the Atraxian and, and Prisoner Zero. Like, yeah, and the... Two things that we
1: don't care and the about. the Doctor's just like, do you know who I am? And then it's like, oh, yeah, you're the Doctor. And then it runs away. I mean, it's a completely uninteresting way to defeat a monster. And when the Doctor, um, in David Tennant's first episode, he basically he woke up and then he like pushed a button and beat the, beat the bad guy. So it, yeah. was, it, it, it really doesn't matter. And I don't think it's particularly indicative of what we're going to get for the rest of this season in terms of in terms of monsters and plot and that sort of thing. And when I've only heard about the two big stories I've heard about are the TARDIS episode and the Cyberman episode. And the one with Neil Gaiman, I trust because it's Neil Gaiman and the TARDIS one I trust because it's really new. It's something that they haven't really done before. I'm there are a lot of the like TARDIS. Have, have virtually every episode not written by Mark Gaddis for the rest of the season sounds very exciting to me. So, Which which ones that I haven't already mentioned sound really interesting to you, and why?
0: Um, so they're doing a they're doing a bit of a ghost story at some point, and Diana Rigg is going to be in oh, it. Oh, I so think I heard about that one, yeah. Um, I heard that she was going to be on a, the show. They're doing an episode that, I, I believe this is the case, this is one of the ones that's more of a rumor, I think, but I think they're doing an episode that is going to be a of Vastra-centric episode, where it's like a Madame Vastra, Jenny, and Strax are
1: doing an adventure, and the Doctor's kind of there as well. Oh, That sounds fun to me. That sounds really cool. That sounds kind of like a a special issue of a comic, like just like a side comic.
0: Yeah. Um, And I love, uh, I watched The Snowman the other day in preparation for the new episode, and I love the Vastra, Jenny, Strax interplay. They're great characters. They're a lot of fun. Um, And I think... Matt Smith plays off of all of them very well, so if that's going to be a, uh, uh, an episode, that sounds great. Uh, like you said, the Journey to the Center of the TARDIS is going to be an episode, which is a cool premise. But I'm, I am I'm definitely interested in that. Uh, Neil Gaiman writing a Cyberman episode? Cool. Neil Gaiman writing anything, I'm in. Um, what are the other ones? Let me think. Uh, oh, Mark Gaddis is doing a Cold War episode. It's like a submarine episode, I think. He's, he
1: is, he's really interested in doing, like... uh. Like war episodes, right? Didn't, was he behind some of the, like the World War II stuff? He did. He did Victory of the Dolls. right? Which we don't really like. <laughs> we do not. <laughs> but you know what? I gotta uh, trust him. I've like stuff. most
0: of his his episodes of Doctor Who, uh, though he is writing the Crimson Horror, which is the Vastra episode. So maybe that'll be a really good one.
1: And he's also writing, completely unrelated. I mean, actually, completely related, but unrelated to the Doctor. Is he's writing a TV movie about the creation of the show, which I think is going to air right. around the time. Um, of the 50th right around the
0: same time as yeah, the Spectacle. and I think
1: he he might actually be better suited for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just I don't dislike Mark Gaddis as a writer at all. I think like his his Sherlock stuff is really good. Um, I just don't always like his Who stuff. Um, and I, I I mean submarine episode, sure sounds good. I'm
1: in. Um, but I mean he's I, he's very clearly a confidant of Moffat. Like he's he's probably his right I mean, guy. Right, he's.
0: He looks suspiciously like what uh Moffitt looked like during the Davies era to me like he's written in every season that Moffitt's right, written um uh, he he seems like the right-hand man. Yeah, I mean I don't I, I don't
1: know nece- I mean I have no idea about who's going to take over after Stephen Moffat leaves. I don't necessarily get the feeling that it's going to be I don't think it will be because him. Uh, I feel like he's more connected to Moffitt while Moffitt was just kind of like the best writer that Davies had on on the crew and I think I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if that desire is there. I think they're kind of like a team. They're kind of just going to. Yeah, I together. think I think that Mark Addis
0: is is a friend of
1: Moffat's. Like they work together a lot. Yeah.
0: But it I, it would surprise me if if he was announced as the next showrunner for Doctor Who. I just like it would it would surprise me. Yeah. That's that's what I will say. <laughs> um, I wanna yeah. One of the things I want to talk about, uh, which I think I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, as much as I like I like. What the show has been in Moffitt's tenure as showrunner better than I liked what Davies was doing. Um, I think Moffat's best episodes were all when he was not the showrunner. See, like I his, feel like
1: he. I think Davies was the better showrunner. I think I think Moffat is better at writing, you know, episode to episode. And I feel like Moffat needs somebody above him to kind of like rain shit in.
0: That uh, well actually we can talk about that in a minute. Um I wanted to make this point first and then we can talk about that cuz I I actually like the Moffat era better than I like the Davies era for a variety of reasons. But um I think yeah, I don't think Moffat has written anything since he took over the show nearly as good as what he was writing uh in the Davies era. And I think like he's written great episodes, don't get me wrong, but I think his best stuff was in the Davies era. What I think what I think has changed is him running the show means he has more responsibility and he has to do these heavy lifting episodes a lot more. And I think what I liked about The Bells of St. John and what I like about what he's done in the new era of, you know, showrunner slash writer is I think he nails the little things very well. He's not doing the big, like, Blake-style, Silence in the Library-style episodes that he was doing when he could just come in and write a crazy episode and then leave. Um, But he does the little moments well. Um, And I was particularly struck... uh, one moment particularly struck me well was when when Clara was unconscious from the internet eating her or whatever. Uh, and the Doctor is sort of, like, taking care of her and putting the flowers there and everything. And it was just, like... I think the show is trying to age the 11th Doctor. Where we saw, you know, he was kind of a kid with Amy. And they were kind of, like, they were best friends. And he was her little imaginary friend from when she was a kid. And it was very, like... It was a sweet, young relationship for the Doctor. Now I think they're, they're putting him in a position of being sort of like the father figure for Clara in a way. And I think that was established in this wordless sequence very well. And I also like the touch of the Doctor with the cookies because it, it, for me at least, brought back the idea of the, the fish fingers and custard from The Eleventh Hour and Amy's first episode with the Doctor. And so I liked, I liked that little moment because it was sort of an emotional like, uh, touchstone for me to go like, oh, okay, like this, he's forming the relationship. With the food, cool. I liked that a lot, and it was it was little things like that, um, like the line where the doctor says, "I can't tell the future. I just work there." There were there were a lot of little things like that throughout the episode well, that I thought yeah, were done Moffitt's, very Moffitt's
1: well. stories always have great little lines like that um, sprinkled throughout yeah. them. Uh, I, def- I loved all of that. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. I, I think Matt Smith's playing him a little bit older. I mean, I guess yeah. there's that there's still that childish streak that runs through it, which is kind of in character with the The doctor doctor. I think
0: is always is always he always has the the childlike sure
1: but I feel like maybe you know he he got a new wardrobe he got a new thing it's kind of like (laughs) this is a different guy than what we were getting with Amy and Rory and it feels older and maybe that's just because I feel like we're closer to the end of Matt Smith than the beginning yeah and I'm sure Matt Smith knows that and I'm sure Stephen Moffat knows that
0: well and I think he's he's more you know he's more
1: he's more battle-weary I mean, yeah. He's he's already had all the fun adventures with his new friends, and that was all fresh and new. And now they're gone, and now he's kind of like reeling. He's kind of more in a position that Eccleston's doctor was in than than Tennant, or and he I, was when he when he started. He's kind of like he's coming from a bad place.
0: Yeah, he's lost a lot. Um, and one of the things I le- I've always loved about Smith's doctor, and again, I think he is my favorite um, at this point anyway. Uh, talk to me in a few years, and we have a new Doctor, maybe I'll change my mind, but Smith is, is my touchstone right now for how I'd like the Doctor to be played. And the reason is, he, I think he nails the entire emotional spectrum of the Doctor, and can turn on a dime so well. Um, he's, he can be the crazy kid doing something silly, and the madman with the box one minute, and this, like, millennia old, uh, weary you know, time lord the next. And I think that spectrum is, is like, it's the Doctor's character, you know, he runs the gamut from those two things, and Smith nails both of them, which is what I love about him. I think we are getting more of the world weariness in this version of the Doctor. You know, he's, he's also just coming out of quote-unquote retirement, you know. Sure. What we saw in the Christmas special was the Doctor who was done, um, who was, had, was retired in Victorian England and was just not gonna help people anymore, um... So that was like, and I think all of series seven, we've seen a very dark version of the doctor. You know, he's been much more willing to kill off his adversaries in the last few episodes. Um, I think he's, yeah, he's getting older. He's getting sadder, uh, which is kind of the arc the show does again and again, right? Is the idea. Well, it's, of what happened, this,
1: it's, what, it's what happened with Tennant, uh, Right. Uh, they didn't really get they, a chance to do, they couldn't really do much of an arc with Eccleston because he was on just one season, but he was kind of always that dark doctor. That yeah. was his
0: thing. But I think, I think the way that the show goes is you have this, this silly this silly little man who runs around and has adventures and eventually he gets older and he's lost a lot of people and he gets sadder and then
1: he's <laughs> he new again. Yeah. And, he's yeah. a,
0: and he's a silly little man and he runs off and has adventures in the show sort of, that's the cycle of the show. And I think, like you said, we are closer to the end of the 11th Doctor than the beginning at this point. Um, unless Matt Smith decides to be the Doctor for 20 more years, which I don't well,
1: think. Well, I mean, not. I guess I kind of like that arc. I mean, I think I think ten. Oh, me too. I think tenant. I they, think Tenet's best stuff was at the end of, towards the end of his his run. Um,
0: and that's I think what draws me to the show is is this that cycle. Um, there's there's a, a, a tragedy at the doctor's core, and he covers it up well for a while, and then it comes out again. And when it comes out and it's gotten too bad, he regenerates and is a new guy who's able to deal with it better for a while. It's a, I think it's it's great. I love that the show does that.
1: So I think we're in agreement. We like this show
0: yes we do um do you do we t- want to move
1: on uh, do we want to yeah we can move so the on. verdict is uh, not the best episode of doctor who but it doesn't need to be we like clara and that's what it's all about is that pretty much right. the gist
0: i think i think yeah uh the the one sentence is the monster was totally forgettable but that wasn't the point the companion was and the show did that very well
1: all right let's move on to other big news you want to introduce this one
0: No, by all means, you're you're our standard foo bearer.
1: So, um, there've been, you know, since they announced that they're going to do this big fiftieth anniversary special, which Moffat is going to write. And actually, I want to talk about Moffat writing this in a little bit, but let's do the news thing first. BBC officially announced that David Tennant and Billy Piper will be in the episode. Which I guess uh, I think Billy Piper actually denied being in the episode before this news came out. So that was actually a surprise to me. Tenant coming back was absolutely a foregone conclusion. That was like a slam dunk beyond uh, slam dunk. Um, So everyone is obviously incredibly excited, as they should be. Jordan, what do you think of this news that Rose and the doctor, or Tenant's doctor at least, will be back? Or maybe his weird not-doctor, doctor doctor twin. (laughs) His not-doctor, doctor twin, of course. Um, I... I'm very excited
0: about it. I have never seen one of the show's multi-doctor stories, but there's sort of a—it's a thing they do for anniversaries. You know, the 10th anniversary, they did the three doctors, and all three of them were there. The 20th anniversary, they did the five doctors, and technically not all of them were there, but they pretended they were anyway. Um, that's sort of what the show does when it has a big milestone like this—is it says, "Let's have a bunch of doctors running around at the same time." And I like that idea. I have, like I said, I haven't seen it yet, but I find the idea of Matt Smith and David Tennant interacting, and their two doctors interacting. Awesome! Like, well, I they've never got—they've never
1: had to do that before, which is an incredibly appealing mm-hmm. idea. Um, I definitely think that this is not going to be it for the casting. I mean, I think they're going to have—they're going to have other people. I think they—they almost have to. Um, um, John Barrowman on Twitter said he is not going to be in it, which is weird because he tweeted this, and why I think that's weird is that. Before tweeting it, he tweeted, I have really big news to share, and, you know, and then after and after he, um, after he tweeted, I have really big news to share, smiley face, he then tweeted that he's not going to be in the episode, and to me, that kind of seems kind of suspicious, because I've heard a few other people deny being in the 50th anniversary, and you know what? There they are. Specifically, Billy Piper. Um, also, of course, you have Eccleston, who has been talking about, or I guess people have been asking Christopher Eccleston about being in it. And at first, I think it was a hard no, and then I think once he said, uh, if I told you, I'd have to kill you, which basically made everyone think, oh my god, he's going to be in it. And I think since then, there have been more indications that he's not going to um He's not going to return, but honestly, they they're pretty good about keeping secrets for this show. So, here's hoping that Barrowman and Eccleston will be back uh, to do this. But I am definitely happy that Billy Piper and Dave Tennant are going to be in it. I still, I'm excited. I'm excited to slowly find out more and more who's going to be in the episode. What do you think?
0: I I, I have to agree um, with the idea that I'd like to see Eccleston and Barrowman, especially Eccleston. I think. If you're gonna do a multi-doctor story at this point in the show's run to celebrate the fiftieth anniversary, I think you should get all of the post revival doctors. Like there there have only been three so far. Yeah. I would like I I and I liked Eccleston a lot, and we didn't get to see a whole lot of him because he was only in one season. So I'd like to have him back.
1: I, I agree. I'd I'd definitely like to see Eccleston back, but I think there might be an easier time story wise if it was just Tennant and Smith, because we know we have the out with Tennant having that double um, which is seemingly the logical way to bring him back somehow. With Rose. yeah, but the
0: Doctor is a time traveler, so it wouldn't be that hard to have uh, the eleventh Doctor show up at a place where the tenth Doctor also was. Like, yeah, it's a pretty. It's I think it's a pretty easy story to tell. Um, it's hard because you have you know timelines crossing, but the show has done that before. Um, and I think every time they've done the multi Doctor stories before, it's just like, oh, like yeah, we're time travelers, so sometimes we run across each other. And I'm fine with that, um, but yeah, I, I just like to see more of, of Eccleston because I liked I liked what he did, and I would have liked to uh, have him be able to do more. Um, so that would have been nice. But presumably, it's already written. So if we're not hearing about Eccleston, uh, it might be because he's not going to be there.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's already been written, but that doesn't necessarily, and that these two have been announced, that doesn't mean that they're they're not keeping secrets. I mean, BBC America. You know isn't so keen you know they didn't say that uh Lee's Coleman was going to be in Asylum of the docks. they very right. couldn't they
0: they like to they like to hold some things back and i I like to be surprised, even though like i say I am a voracious consumer of all Doctor who spoilers for some reason, I like to know everything about
1: the show um i mean i'm I'm hoping that they will surprise us with casting surprises. I'm Eccleston hoping, would be yeah.
0: great. Barrowman would be great. There are plenty of people that they could bring back. Um, there are a lot of people from the original series they might be able to bring back that I wouldn't care as much about because I don't know them yet. Well, they can bring back some of the old Doctors who are
1: very old now, which might be disconcerting. Yeah.
0: I was going to say that the, I think the problem with bringing back someone like Tom Baker, who like everyone would like to see, is like the Doctor doesn't age like that. Yeah. So it would be weird to have the fourth Doctor be like, oh yeah, I'm decades older than I was when I regenerated. <laughs>
1: Uh, a wizard did it.
0: Yeah. A wizard. (laughs) The master came by and he had that aging thing that he used in the season three finale and he did that to me or something. Um, Or like the doctor said last night, another one of the lines I really liked, it's all science-y.
1: Something that, that kind of gives me hope that this will be not only just a reunion episode, which would be nice in and of itself, but it'll actually be a great episode, is that just the fact that this is a very standalone thing and... I think, like we talked about earlier in the show, I think Moffat will really excel in this type of standalone situation where he has—I mean, the world is his, basically.
0: Yeah, he can do literally anything.
1: <laughs> anything in time or space.
0: And um, I, I agree, especially because it's going to—it's—it's co- it's going to be released in November, and there's going to be a Christmas special. So it's like a lot of the story pressure is taken off of of this to do anything plot-wise and what Moffat is doing normally. Because he could just do that in the Christmas episode that he's also almost certainly going to write because he's written all of them during his run uh, a month later. So he can just do a great Doctor Who story for the 50th anniversary. And I think that's probably what he's going for.
1: Yeah, hopefully it won't be uh, the doctors have to hack into a computer together and then do.
0: Yeah, the, the Wi Fi soup is back and the doctors <sighs> just have to type for 45 straight minutes. Otherwise, everything will get all science. Yes,
1: the ghosts are in the Wi Fi. <laughs>
0: Um, Anything else we want to discuss, or is it about time to start wrapping things up, do you think?
1: Uh, let's see. Oh, who else? They, they announced someone else was going to be in it, who I like. John Hurt. John Hurt, yeah. I love John Hurt. Who is
0: always welcome on my television screen.
1: Yeah, he's great. I love John Hurt. Anyway, he's going to be in the episode two, and frankly, I I'm, hope afraid- he does something frankly I'm surprised he hasn't been on Doctor Who I mean this iteration of Doctor Who I feel like just about every great English character actor has been on at some point
0: I don't know we haven't yet had our Maggie Smith episode
1: in 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 due time
0: I'm holding out for Maggie Smith to be the next companion so
1: well you know he was he was in um, Harry Potter so if you're in Harry Potter you're gonna be in Doctor Who at some point I think that's a rule
0: (laughs) yeah it's British law actually
1: it is it's it's in their charter Their
0: their charter. I don't
1: know what they have. (laughs) Only America has a constitution.
0: (laughs) Um, Can we do an episode of the podcast where you talk about
1: other governments without doing any research? Absolutely not. (laughs) I think think there have been a number of jokes about an alien popping through John Hurt's chest uh, during... During Doctor, I think
0: what they should do is have Christopher Christopher Eccleston pop out of John Hurt's chest. Wouldn't
1: that be just the best surprise, though? Honestly, yes. First of all, I feel like Eccleston kind of looks like the baby alien. If you get him, he does a little. If, bit. if you get him like all wet and stuff,
0: oh, gross!
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, and then yeah, he, he just bur- uh, bursts out and says, "Fantastic!" And then we're off to the races.
1: <laughs> I actually would fucking love that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> if it's the episode ended like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's like, there, there's been a whole lot of Tennant and Smith uh, vamping for most of the episode, and then Hurt, Hurt's chest explodes, Christopher Eccleston pops out, and they all just, like, run off into the TARDIS together. I would not mind that at all. I would not mind that, except I would prefer it if there was a whole lot more Eccleston. Basically, I wish this was going to be longer than the 90 minutes that it's going to be, which is already long for a Doctor Who episode. How
1: do you feel about it being in 3D? I don't really care about uh, that. I don't like it. I, actually, I don't like I don't any, like things being in 3d people i'm have not 3D. i mean do a lot of people have the 3d TVs and do they actively watch them i feel like this is not something i've partaken in with people or seen people do this is not like a part of the no. culture
0: no it's like it's i know it's a thing that's out there but i have not done it
1: no it's like hey i was watching this thing in 3d the other day and it was awesome <laughs> i like i've never heard that ever no that is not a thing that i, I have i know 3d say. TVs exist i mean they sell them very widely
0: I know they exist because of that commercial with uh, that fucking train song in it. Uh, there was the "Hey Soul Sister" commercial uh, uh, for 3D TVs. They made me want to shoot
1: myself. Uh, well, at least it, at least it gave us that. It gave the world the song that Jordan hates more than anything. Well, technically, the song was recorded
0: independently of the commercial, but that's what you, it did make you me think, have to right? hear it a lot.
1: <laughs> the three trains people. in the
0: in the uh, pocket of the 3D television industry.
1: Frankly, that would seem weirdly appropriate.
0: Yeah, that would not surprise me at all.
1: Um, so yeah, it's going to be in 3D. I think I heard that they're going to release it theatrically. In they some are. Places. There are
0: uh, some theaters in England, some theaters in America. Um, it is not clear how widely it will be released. I would be. If it is in a theater near me, that. I will see it. I
1: would be all over that. The only thing that would give me pause is if they were showing it in a th- theater and it would only be in 3D.
0: Yeah, I will not see it in 3D. That's true.
1: Um, if they're showing it in a theater in 2D, I am there.
0: Excellent. Glad to hear it.
1: You hear me, people? I'm there.
0: (laughs) Release? Well, if it comes out in any theaters in America, it will probably be in New York, and you live in New York, so you can see it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know. I will probably, no, well, I will definitely be in Michigan, um, unless it happens to fall on Thanksgiving and I am home in California. In either case, chances of me being uh, able to see it easily are not that high. Whatever, I'll watch it on my television, um, my non-3D television. So,
1: I, guess, I mean, you know, we, we will keep everyone up to date, I'm sure. We're not going yeah, to have a full Doctor are, Who podcast again, probably, for at least until the end of the season. Um,
0: yeah, I imagine we might talk about the end of the season. If we have not talked about the end of the season for some reason, we will probably do a dedicated podcast, of the 50th anniversary special, because we'll want to talk about that for a while.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, But I
0: guarantee you that there will be more casting and plot news coming out, and that in our news roundup, we'll probably bring that up.
1: Yes, definitely. Before we go, just one last thing. All right. What's with the leaf, Jordan?
0: I didn't get that at all. Like, I don't understand. It's, I mean, it's page one, so, like, she got the leaf from going somewhere is the way I had to read it.
1: I mean, I figured, like, oh, this is, like, this is, that was, like, from her first journey. I don't know. Maybe she went somewhere. Yeah. I don't know, and got a leaf.
0: Great. Uh, it was one of those things that was like I knew it was supposed to be a mystery, but I didn't really understand what the mystery even was. Did like, it there's to be a leaf. Mystery? Well, he asks her about it, and she's like, "It's page one." Uh, so, like, it felt it felt weird. Uh, it felt like something that may come back at some point. And if so, perhaps it will not feel weird once it has come back. For the moment, I was like, "Okay, so there's a leaf." Like, there's plenty of stuff floating around out there. Like. Where'd she get the number from River song? Um, how is she alive?
1: Well, that's a big question, too.
0: Right. So, like, there are enough other things going on. The leaf seemed like kind of a, a random thing, yeah. but whatever.
1: I'm going with the leaf as her daughter, and she's actually a tree.
0: <laughs> hey, we've seen tree people before uh, at the end of the world. We have.
1: That was uh, season one, episode two.
0: Yes. She was a woman named a tree.
1: Yes, and and she burned. <laughs> she burned to death. <laughs>
0: yeah, And she died in a fire. As all trees should. Yes,
1: I was going to say, in fire, trees. Good night. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end, Jordan. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think I think uh, Irrational Hatred of Trees is a great place to end this Doctor Who podcast. All right. Um, thank you all for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at named. You can email us at named at gmail.com. You can come to our website at com, And you can listen to the podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll be talking about things that are not Doctor Who, but that are probably somewhere in the same realm of geekery. Because that's what we do here. That's for it. Um For now, good talk, Sam. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.